0: Hello, you're listening to No Such Word As Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today, we welcome the current head coach of the Scottish women's basketball team as he gets ready for the Commonwealth Games this year. Welcome to the podcast, Donnie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I am very excited to chat to you, even though I'm an absolute beginner and know almost nothing about the sport of basketball. <laughs> um, but my very best friend will be very glad that I am chatting uh, to you today. So tell me a little bit about what first got you excited about basketball as a sport. What got you involved?
1: It's really interesting. It goes back to high school. I had a teacher who who really got me involved. There was a really good senior team in the school when I was in first year in high school. And uh, it was just coming up to the end of first year and we had a a basketball session on a Friday afternoon. I'll never forget it. And at the end of the session, the teacher put on um, a Michael Jordan video, which had just come out about a year before. And I was mesmerized by this video, just watching the skills of this guy. I'd uh, never heard of him before. And the, my teacher, after the session, said to me, look like you really like that. Do you want to borrow the video for the weekend? And I said, <laughs> sure. And I, I took that video home with me that weekend. And I watched it so many times, I'm surprised it still worked when I gave it him back. So that was a bit of a start. And then immediately after that, there was a summer camp. And I went along to that summer camp. I was the only kid in football trainers at that summer camp at a time when basketball shoes were kicking off and the whole Jordan shoes thing was just starting to to become really popular. Uh, But that summer camp, I improved a lot and I just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, basketball then became something that was just part of my life going forward. University team captain um, and then coaching started a good bit later.
0: Yeah, I think that those um, moments, especially when you're a child of that inspiration, and it's great that your your teacher really saw that, saying you want to borrow this video to kind of nurture that. How important do you think it is for children to have role models like that in their lives growing up?
1: I think it's invaluable, and in many cases, you don't realise that a role model at the time. It's only further down the line you realise. You know, I, I look back at uh, at what Bill Edgar, my OPE teacher, did for us. You know, I, I grew up in Skye, you know, miles away from anywhere. So the nearest games for us were over two hours away. But, you know, every weekend he would drive us to games. Uh, if we wanted to go to a camp somewhere in Scotland, I remember he in the summer holidays he took the school minibus and he drove a group of us down to Dundee, dropped us off, came, picked us back up, you know, did whatever it took for us to get opportunities that people in other parts of the country could uh, because obviously it was much harder for us to play in national leagues and things like that so at the time we just thought it was normal that what this guy was doing for us but as you grow up you start to realize that was not normal behavior whatsoever and um, and so you know at the time probably my role models were the older kids in school the better players that I, I, I kind of tried to follow are people in the NBA or things like that but now, you know, when I got to my late twenties, early thirties, and you really start reflecting back, and I started becoming a coach myself, I just—it really hit me how much he did for me. And so, as a coach, you know, Bill Edgar is, you know, one of my uh, great role models. Maybe not—he wasn't—he did Scotland Youth and things like that, but maybe he didn't coach at the professional level or things like that. But the dedication he showed to helping us improve and doing whatever it took for the players to improve. something i've taken and one of the really cool things was that the the qualifiers for the commonwealth games and barry lang the head of basketball at basketball scotland who also knows bill very well surprised me by inviting bill along to be part of the support staff at the tournament so he was there for that whole week that we were in 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 tournament and preparing and uh, it was the most time i probably spent with him in over 20 years so that was a really fun part of the experience one thing we were qualifying for the commonwealth games And then the other thing was I was getting to to spend some time with the guy who really introduced me to the game.
0: Yeah, I think it's incredible that not only, you know, he gave you that start as a child, but he also, you know, you've taken those lessons that you learned forward into your career. So even though you're obviously a coach at some very high levels, you also have, you know, a lot of experience teaching kids. So what's something that you always, you know, remind yourself or that you bring to your coaching when you're teaching the younger generation
1: i think the the most important thing is you have to develop a love of the game with the young players because when you start to get to the higher levels of the game it's going to be hard and sometimes you sometimes you question why are we doing this because it's hard and you always fall back on your love of the game so when I started working with the, the Scottish Regional Academy system this year, the, the number one goal we printed in our coaching manual is that the players have to leave every session looking forward to coming back to the next one. Now that's not to say it's just got to be a fun and a laugh and a joke because actually I, I people talk about how kids have changed and, and maybe society has changed, but I think kids still want to be pushed. I think they still want to be challenged, and I think they respect when you do push and challenge them. So when teaching, young players. I think it's finding that balance between joy and struggle that's the absolute key. And and sometimes you get it right and sometimes you don't get it right. But you you have to find fun. You have to find fun. And, you know, for some people, competing is fun. For some people, learning something is fun. For some people, having a joke and a laugh is fun. Um, For a lot of people, it's all three. But you've got to have those elements to uh, youth practice and you've got to make them want to come back and do it again.
0: Yeah. And I think also, you know, coming off of the back of the pandemic, you know, my experiences in competitive swimming, but we're seeing a big um, delay in children's development, not only within the sport, but just, you know, swimming as a life-saving skill because they've missed out on like two years um, of practice. So the age that they are, they're kind of behind where we would normally say they should be. Are you also seeing knock-on effects of that in basketball as well?
1: Definitely, I, I think what we can't underestimate is just how much development happens over the course of a season and and over the course of a summer. So, you know, with COVID, we basically lost an entire season, but we lost two summers. And the summers are where we have a lot of camps for skill development, where our national teams get together. And that's an opportunity. The national teams are really invaluable because you bring the best players together and that pushes them to a, a different level, even just in training it. Whether you go to competition or not when they train together it pushes them to another level they go back to their clubs and the level goes up and and i think we just we missed that two summers plus a full season and you know what has been great to see though is that the numbers have been good coming back so one of the things that that surprised me a lot this year was that the under 18 level here in Scotland. the the girls often we don't have great numbers at under 18s. It kind of drops off year by year. You get good numbers at under 14s, reasonable number at 16s, and then at the under 18 level, it tends to be quite a drop off of people wanting to to commit to to sport. You know, there are social pressures, there are other things. But this year we saw a lot more of those girls who'd maybe missed out at 16s staying on and wanting to 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 play at under 18s. So. Hopefully that's something that we can continue with. I am someone that kind of tries to find the positive in things. I found a lot of positives through the, the COVID uh, pandemic, way different ways of looking at the world, different ways of doing things, and and hopefully one of those positives is if we can actually find a way of keeping those older girls, you know, their final years of school, engaged with the sport more. I think that will really help us in actually just raising the level of our league and raising the standard of our game as a whole.
0: Yeah, I think I agree as well. You know, it it also makes sense that people that missed out on opportunities a little bit younger would then want to take those those opportunities, even if they are a bit older. Um, With regards to, you know, the, the effect of the pandemic on the higher levels, you know, not just youth sport, but, you know, maybe the ones that are getting a little bit more serious. What kind of effect have we seen on, on that? Is it gonna make going into the Commonwealth Games not necessarily more difficult, but are there more challenges?
1: Not necessarily. The the top players, the professional teams were able to continue to play. We had a break. Um, we maybe missed the last three or four games of one season. We had a break over the summer, but we were right back in training in October, you know, here in Scotland. Only professional sport had the exemption to continue playing. And it it took a lot of work to get to that point of getting all the clearances and we had to do, you know, lateral flow testings before it was before everyone was doing them. And we we had to be doing bubbles and we had to be doing all kinds of things to to keep the players safe and to keep their families safe. Mm -hmm. We had to have travel exemptions and things like that. But here in Scotland, there were only two basketball teams in the entire country that were allowed to continue playing and training during 2021 or late 2020 and into 2021 and that was caledonia pride and um glasgow rocks so one women's team one's men's team and i was obviously coaching with caledonia pride at the time we had a training squad of about 18 players so for them we were able to to continue and actually there were some real again some real positives because we were the only indoor sport able to play we, ha- we were able to be much more flexible with our practice times we weren't being pushed by other sports trying to use facilities we were able to use the gym facilities at the times we wanted and um, they they were only playing in the one league this year so sometimes our players will play in university league on a on a wednesday and then they play in the professional league on a on a saturday or a sunday with no university sport they were only playing in the in the one league so the, for our top players there were actually a lot of Benefits that came out of it compared to other seasons. And that was that was at Caledonian Pride, where a couple of our players within the, the squad are likely to have played. And um, I think it would have been the same for the others in the pro league and and all of the players that were that are working with us in the Scotland three x three team, uh, were in the the pro leagues over the uh, the last few years. So at that level, it's less of an impact. At the level directly bef- below that, the next group of pro players, that's much more difficult because the the ability for them to progress and develop the skills and and understanding of the game that's required to take that step up to to pro. And that's you know that's our big question is how do we how do we bridge that gap now?
0: Yeah. I think it's a really interesting way of of looking at it. Um talk me a little bit uh through how the qualifying went for the Commonwealth games because I know it was a little bit of a of a historic moment and for you as a coach to be there, what was Tell, tell
1: us about how that went. Um, yeah, that was a, a fun few days for probably everyone but me because I felt a huge amount of pressure. Um, <laughs> winding it back a little bit, um, where I met your friend Dee first was when we tried to qualify for the last Commonwealth Games, the, for the Gold Coast. So in, in 2017, we travelled out to Malaysia for a tournament where you know, um, us in Malaysia were fighting for the final spot in the, the Gold Coast Games. And um, we had to go and play on their home court, very humid in early June, Uh, difficult conditions. A really good tournament that we were in, played five games, all very close games. Um, And the Malaysia game came down to the last couple of possessions and we lost the game by three. And as a result, we missed out on the the 2018 uh, games. Uh, and the men went, so I know how difficult that was for the, the, for the players in particular, but also for us as the coaching staff, we got really close. We couldn't have been prouder of that team. They, they gave absolutely everything in uh, in very difficult circumstances. Um, and we just came within a whisker of, of making it. So um, roll it on a few years and having the opportunity to, uh, to qualify again and, and um, getting the opportunity to be the head coach this time of the, of the team. You know, I, I knew a couple of the, the players coming in had been part of that group before and I knew how much it meant to them. So for me, it was like, you no, know, we've got to do it this time. We actually, and that's where I'm saying, the pressure came from. We have to qualify this time. Basketball has only appeared in two previous Commonwealth Games, 2006 and, and 2018. And the men went to both, Scottish men went to both of those tournaments and the, and the women didn't. So, you know, there was a lot riding on that. But for me, I knew we had the talent because... That team that went away to Malaysia was on the whole, on the main, a a very young team. A lot of players in their early twenties, just finished university, um, just kind of breaking into the pro ranks. Uh, But it was a very talented team. Roll it on a little bit, and we've got a more mature group who've got that fire. And you're thinking, now this is this is our moment. This is our chance to really get there. So. Coming into that, we had a very short window for the camp. The qualifying was actually supposed to take place between Christmas and New Year, but Omicron came along and it got delayed until April. And so now it's actually happening in season. There's no no break for these professional players. They were playing on the Saturday or the Sunday before. The qualifying games were on the Wednesday, and then they had games on the following weekend. So, you know, these are players who are being paid by their clubs. I'm very thankful to the, their club coaches and to their uh, club GMs for letting them come to us. They arrived on the Monday. We had a couple of training sessions that day, some practice the next day, and we went into the, the, the games against Wales and Northern Ireland. Um, for me, the cr- critical thing was I knew we had the talent, I knew we had the ability. It was just about making sure that they were confident and feeling in a good place to go and express themselves. We had a, a really difficult situation where we had to make selections on the, the day before. We had six players in, in the squad and only four could play. Um, so I had to have conversations with a couple of players, um, which is always difficult um, because I knew how much they wanted to be part of it. But we had a talented group and that's, you know, it's... Uh, a luxury in some ways, but it's really hard on a personal level because I, I love all these people. I really respect all these people and you, and you don't ever want to, to deliver that bad news. But, you know, ultimately, you sometimes have to, as a coach, strip the emotion out of it and and go with what you think is right at the time. And ultimately, our players stepped on the court and they, they did what was needed of them and they qualified. So for the players, it was a lot of joy for the coach, relief, because I that. The difference between the 3v3 version of the game and the regular five player game is that the coaches aren't allowed to be involved during the game it's, it's like tennis you have to sit in the stands and watch and the the officials are watching to make sure that you're not sending any signals to the players so I, i'm sitting in the crowd the most agitated fan there because you know i, I want to have some sort of impact yeah. and i want to help but i i couldn't so Yes, I, th- I think everyone had a great time that that few days. But for me, the, the weight of relief I felt that night was like nothing I have felt before, I have to be honest with you.
0: No, I can imagine, you know, like you said, as a head coach, you know, you want to prove yourself. You want to say, like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to get these girls there. Um, how do you make the decision of who plays and who doesn't? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different factors that come into it.
1: I think in that situation, and again, it may be different for the next situation at the games, you have to look at what gives us the best opportunity of winning these games. You know, which is the team that's going to allow us to win the games against Northern Ireland and against Wales? Uh, And ultimately, a a big part of that came down to when we found out who the Northern Irish team was and who the Welsh team was, which was actually just the day before the the tournament. you're going, okay, the, our best way of matching up against this team is this uh, and, and actually how do we maximize our strengths and take away theirs? So the the team we selected for the, for that was, was designed to, to really take away any chance of an upset because Scotland, when they play against Northern Ireland and Wales are viewed as favorites, the bigger country, all professional players. Uh, so, we had to make sure that there was no upsets. And, and one of the reasons that the 3x3 version of the game has become really popular is because it allows more upsets. It's short, it's 10 minute games, it's three players, no coaching. You know, uh, America win everything usually at the 5v5 version of the game, but they're currently ranked number seven in the world in the women's 3x3 version of the game. So it kind of shows you that it, it creates opportunities for smaller nations to, to have success. So we had to make sure that we were snuffing out any potential upset from Wales and mm. Now. And that was mm-hmm. really where the decision making came from for that uh, tournament. Going forward to the Commonwealth Games, well, now it's very different. You're talking about playing teams like Australia, Canada, um, England, New Zealand, big basketball nations. So your decision making becomes a little bit different. Now we're the ones that are gonna to have to cause the upset. And what's our best way of causing an upset against these teams? They give us the chance of of getting into the into the medal spots if if that's at all possible i mean people aren't viewing us as a favorite but i think we've got talent and i think we have got the ability to go and upset teams and and you know anything can happen once you get to the tournament
0: yeah and how do you as a coach foster that kind of team mentality you know especially when some of the girls know when it comes to the day even if they're on the team they might not actually be out there on the court um for me as a swimmer you know yes we have some team orientated you know aspects of the sport you really races uh, but for the most part it's you in a lane rope you know you're you're just swimming for yourself uh, how do you foster that team orientated vision for all of the girls
1: it's very hard uh, particularly at that level and you know that decision for the commonwealth games qualifiers and for the commonwealth games are probably the most difficult decisions i've had to made, make as a coach because of what was riding on it but any you know anytime you, you're you having to make selections it's it's the most difficult part of the job as a coach and um, but you know we are talking about team sports here and and you know, I think I've probably got it wrong as many times as I've got it right. Maybe more times I've got it wrong than I've got it right. But you try and learn from that going forward. I think the thing you have to recognize is you're dealing with a team, yes, but you're dealing with human beings who are all individual and very different. And the stronger you can build an individual relationship with the players on the team, the more you can understand how do I help them through this process of selection or or not being selected. So it's more difficult when you don't know the players, um, because you don't know how to approach them and how they're going to take it and how they handle feedback. I think at the top level, you've just got to be honest. I I think you know being as honest as you possibly can, being straight to the point, not trying to skirt around the the edges. I think is the only way to go. And 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 sometimes a lot of the time at this level when you're making selections, it's nothing that players done or that's that's affected their selection. So it's not like you're. It's not a personal decision about that person it's just for this particular game this is the way we have to go for this particular moment in time this is the lineup that i think is going to give us the best chance of success i might be yeah. proven to be right i might be proven to be wrong and i'll be the first one to hold my hand up and say if i was wrong but you know you, you make a decision based on you know it's you can say the best evidence available to you but it's always an educated guess um, and there's a lot of hunches you just have to go with. You know, the coaching is as much an art as, as science. And um, sometimes you get it right and sometimes you get it wrong. You just, as a coach, getting to the point where you understand you're going to make mistakes every single day um, allows you that freedom to go, OK, well, I'm not going to get too caught up in them. I just have to accept it. That's part of the, of the role.
0: Well, as much as athletes are humans, you know, coaches are human beings as well. Are there certain qualities that you look for in your athletes or as an extension of that, are there certain qualities that might make an athlete very well suited to a sport like basketball?
1: I think it, basketball is a team sport. So first and foremost, you know, you, you want players who are there for the team. One of the unique things about basketball is that the a number of statistics that are available about the individual and, you know, you'll see that so many points, so many rebounds, so many assists. And so a lot of players are built up to be superstars as if they're individual athletes uh, because of the number of stats that are in the game. But but ultimately, the best teams win. So for me, I I think it's about trying to foster that culture of we're playing for each other, we're not playing for ourselves. When you say, you know, we're dealing with selections, yes, but usually when you get to the national team level, Particularly at a 3x3 where we're talking about a squad of six players here uh, these players know that and ultimately you're you're not then selecting based on anything other than which combination works best for this particular game or this particular group of games because they're all top pros they're all very good players and um it, it, it becomes quite different when you're making when you're making selections at that, that end when you're further down the chain. So let's say, and just now I'm working with the the Great Britain under 16 women's team. And we started with looking at about 50 players that kind of came down to about 24. And then we had to get that 24 down to 16. And then next weekend, I've got a training camp where we get that 16 down to 12. That's, that's quite different because then you are trying to find out, you know, the difference between the, the, the players and the, Top 50 down to the top 12 is quite significant, and then you are trying to think about things like who's going to be best for this team and what what tournament we have to go forward to. Um, So yeah, it's 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 interesting, and that you know the people part of the the role is the enjoyable part of the role for me personally, and and it's it's the most rewarding part because you know been coaching for a number of years, and I'll bump into people I've not seen in a long time, and they'll come up and speak to me. It just happened on on wednesday this week actually where a guy came up to me i felt really bad and um, a guy came up to me at a commonwealth games event and said hey donnie i'm i i was on one of your first teams when you started coaching and i went i'm sorry i don't recognize you at all i felt so bad and he went oh I'm, I'm such and such and i went you were tiny when i coached you and this is we're going back to like 2006 here so this is a long time ago i coached this guy so i just did not recognize you at all but it's really nice and he was saying that's oh, nice to see you doing well and things like that these little connections you randomly bump into people over the years that's that's the real joy in coaching
0: but just like you were saying you know for you as well you still remember the coaches that you had when you were a child you know you you are making such a big difference in in people's lives no matter what level you're coaching them at and really no matter how long you've coached them for you're still being such a big you know part of of their journey um I always like to talk about mindset in sport or in pursuing any goals. You know, I think mindset can help you overcome so many obstacles that are in your way. And for you as a coach, how important is mindset versus, you know, we talk about natural talent or physical ability, you know, how much do you think that having the right attitude towards the sport can outweigh anything else?
1: Very much so. I talk about a pyramid or a steps to success and at the base of the pyramid is the individual behaviors, that individual mindset of, you know, what it's going to take to be successful because, you know, you, you there's going to be tough times and how, would you, how do you deal with those tough times and move forward? How do you deal with the times when um, one of your teammates is having a bad day you know in, in a team those interactions are, are so critical and um, so the mindset for the for the players is is hugely important and trying to help them develop that mindset of being team first and um, I think there's a guy called Patrick Lencioni who talks about the ideal team player and there being three virtues of the ideal team player he talks about uh, humility hunger and people smarts and I really like that you know you, without having all of those three things you can't be an ideal team player and so there is a mindset to that because these are all things that can be trained and developed they're not innate traits so uh, that's something I look at and, and also you know we have to understand particularly when when working with a Scottish team in basketball terms, we're, we're a small nation, we're, we're not highly ranked. In fact, you know, it's now obviously Great Britain that are ranked and they go to the, the FIBA competitions and the European Championships and such. So when Scotland come together in a Commonwealth Games, for example, you know, we're a smaller nation, we, we don't have the same pool of players as, as England or Australia do, but I very much believe in being optimistic and being positive about, you know, what we can do. So I'm very much a solutions focused person myself. I'm always moving, thinking about, okay, what do we do going forwards? How do we, how do we improve this? How do we take that next step? What do we do next? And just trying to get that across to the players. Because one of the things I feel as a coach is your demeanor, your uh, mindset will translate itself to the players at some point in time, if you spend enough time around, them. you know, so. Uh, in an example that the in the lead up to the commonwealth games qualifiers there were a few things going wrong in the the first couple of days of our camp you know there were flights arrived late which meant our our practices were late there was stuff you know there were issues of the venue there were there were a lot of things going on and i'm going i could get frustrated about this or i could just try and rise above it and just keep it all positive and just turn it around and it was quite hard work to do that because in, internally you're struggling with frustrations that things aren't great. You've spent weeks planning this camp and now all of a sudden a flight's late and half of your team haven't arrived and there's another team coming into practice after you and there, there's all these issues. But to the players outwardly I had to have a positive mindset that you know we're going to make the most of this. this is this is going to be good for us. And if I can do that and I can translate that then hopefully it'll feed through to the players. It doesn't always work but I think you you have to be an example when you're the coach in that situation.
0: So building on the idea of the importance of having a good mindset, what are some of the things that you've seen in the youth that you would be able to pinpoint and say, this person is going to the next level, like you can already see it when they're younger?
1: Yeah, I think um, it's, uh, the word I like is drive. There's a drive of people who have a uh, and with that comes like a thirst for understanding and thirst for knowledge. You see these people who, who who want to practice, who come in and they want to be pushed and they want to be challenged. They have that drive. And when you start introducing new concepts, they're thirsty for them and they want more and they want more and they want more. I, I think you, you see that in some people, you see some people who play because they enjoy the social aspect of it and the fitness part of it and the bit for, for the fun, but the people who are going to make it to that next level, they have usually got the drive to do a little bit extra, to go and watch an extra video or spend a little bit more time shooting or, or do something extra, do something different to everyone else. And the, the, the challenge I think we see for teenagers is that that time in high school, there's this huge pressure to fit in and everyone to be the same. And you know this is, this is what fitting in looks like at school but then we're asking them to stand out you know we're asking them to come and be different and stand out and you know be great push on and so they're they're challenged in that sense and the really frustrating thing is as soon as they leave school and they go on to a career or go on to university they're going to realize that standing out is a really positive thing and actually for that four or five years at high school where they've been asked to fit in it can really constrain people so you know, it's often very, very hard for teenagers to stand out and have that drive and have that push. So, you know, you have to recognize that and support it and try and just foster it in some sort of way, because you don't want them to feel completely alienated, where they've got no social support. But at the same time, you know, you recognize that further on in their life, this is actually going to be a big strength for them. So I find that dealing with young players, it's about trying to help them through some tough times as much as it is about uh, anything else, because the things that make them successful can often be really difficult during those teenage years.
0: Yeah. Does that mean that you adapt your coaching styles for that? Like compared to you coaching, you know, the professional women's team to the youth team, how do you adapt your coaching style?
1: I, I think you have to change your your coaching based on whatever group you're you're working with. I think generally speaking, you need to bring a lot more energy to the younger groups because you've you've got to push the, the tempo and, and, and set the intensity level. When you deal with professional athletes, they usually know what the intensity level is. You sometimes need a bit of a push, but they know the level. And if you try and, you try and coach a, a senior pro the same way as you're coaching under 14, the pros are just going to throw it back in your face and go, no, that's, <laughs> listen, I've been there, I've done that. And then they, they kind of understand the level. So you do have to adjust your approach I think you have to recognize the experience and expertise of the pros um, an awful lot more because, you know, I might have a certain amount of experience from my environments, but they've been to different environments. And each of those, there are good ideas from. So you have to, you know, take things from the, the older players as much as you actually deliver to them. And whereas for the younger players, they probably don't have much of an understanding or knowledge of the game. So it's, it's probably more traditional teaching, you know, you do what I say type thing so you do have to adjust your approach you have to adjust your energy I always say that with the under 14s and under 16s practices if I've gone and done a day with them I'm usually exhausted afterwards because I throw everything into it lots of energy lots of energy lots of energy and then you come back with the the senior practice you're probably looking to trying to just be a little bit calmer a little bit more in control focus on small details and, and, you know, you're not running around and jumping and going crazy and trying to energize everyone. You're trying to be more analytical and focus on what are the little detailed things that I need to pick up on and improve. So, yes, you, you have to adjust your mindset very much going into uh, the different sessions.
0: Yeah, you also have um, experience not only coaching uh, younger practices and also the the women's but also men's, is there a big difference? You know, I'm sure there's a big difference in the sport itself, you know, men's basketball versus women's basketball. Um, But with regards to how you work with men versus women, is there a big difference as well?
1: Again, I I think that changes team to team. I, I, you know, it's it's really easy to say differences between men and women, but we're talking about differences between individuals. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, sometimes there are cultural norms we, you know, we, we talk about cultural norms of people in different countries, you know, the differences between Eastern Europeans and you know, Greek players or American players or whoever comes in and um, bringing their cultures, but also even within Scotland, as I said, I grew up in the Isle of Skye. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in a, in a my, there were four people in my class in primary school. Class. <laughs> this is very different to some mm-hmm. of the people down in Glasgow. And, and you do find that, you know, the environment people have grown up on make people different. Um, but in terms of the, the differences between coaching men and women, I, I think um, you touched on it. There are some slight differences in the sports so the men's game is probably more athletic. That makes a big difference. The athleticism, the, the jumping ability makes a big difference. Um, in the women's game, it's maybe a little bit more tactical um, because, you know, you don't have people who are jumping above the rim and, and running, you know, just jumping over people to the same extent. Um, there are still excellent athletes in the women's game don't get me wrong but the the height and jumping ability and speed of the men's game is is, makes the game a bit different and you have to approach it slightly differently from that perspective there are some tactics that work in the men's game and there are some tactics that that don't work in the men's game and so there are bits you can apply across both from a technical tactical perspective in terms of the people if I was to generalize and I'm very much generalizing I, I think that the the women's teams I've coached the social element of being in a team is a bigger part of it than it is for the men the, the actual connection with their teammates is a much is a bigger part of it than it is on the men's teams the men's teams there's maybe a bit more ego there's maybe a little bit more of, of people wanting to do it for themselves and um, and and in the women's team I think there is very much a, a coming together and a pulling for the team more often and I think recognizing that you know there was a Canadian coach I listened to and he he talked about the difference between coaching men and women and how when you can see it at the start of a practice, the first 10 minutes when they walk into a gym, again, I'm I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but quite often the men will walk in, grab a ball and start doing dumb stuff. And the women walk in and they will talk for 10, 15 minutes. And this Canadian Mm. coach said, I used to try and get them out of that and try and get them shooting more. But he said, then I realized actually that was a really important part of their practice was that connection, that natural connection. Mm-hmm. That, um, and you see it in in water breaks and things like that, too, that women's teams tend to, to sit and talk things through more. Men grab a quick drink of water and then go back and start doing their own thing again. And um, so I, it is very much a generalization, but there is a bit of a trend there that I've seen. So I, I think recognizing that the social element is a bigger part for the women affects how you design a program.
0: I think... It's really interesting to me as well, because I feel like there's strengths and weaknesses to to both sexes and to both, you know, aspects of the sport. But wouldn't it be amazing if you could marry the two, you know, that, you know, ego driven kind of mentality that, you know, stereotypically men might have and that more community uh, team minded thing that women have. I know that in swimming, I didn't even plan on asking this. It's just popped into my head. Uh, in swimming recently, they've started doing mixed, really races. So they've had men and women competing together for the first time. You know, something that's never been done before. Um, and, you know, it's brought with it this aspect of being more tactical, like you said, because depending on where you're putting a person in that race, who they're racing against, you know, is going to change So much compared to if it was just men swimming or just women swimming. Do you think you would ever get to a point in basketball where you might have men and women playing on the same team together?
1: Uh, I think it's possible. I think, like I say, the the challenge is that the 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 current way the game is played, men's athleticism just kind of stands them ahead a little bit. But you know, when we prepared the first training camp I had for the with the three x three team, we had our team play against men. as practice it was really tough you know we, it was deliberately I took some of the better players from our national league in, in Scotland the men's national league and said come and play against the, the 3x3 team um, and it was really hard because you know a, a small men's player is six foot two perhaps but that's a tall women's player so mm-hmm. the, the, those physical differences do make a difference. I think what you're saying there, you're absolutely right, that if you can marry the two together, you get the the perfect, but I think that's what happens at the very, very elite level, I think, you know, we've just seen in the UK here just now, uh, Joanna Leigham's just retired, probably the best British women's player ever um, in in the UK, and she had that fire, she was, had that ego driven a, a little bit, but she was team based, she had a fire and a, and a, and, a, and that you're talking about there, that little bit of of um, I want to be first back on the court. I want to be the best. I want to push on. She had that. She was so that that elite level. I think she had that combination. And I think it's the same in the men's game. You know, the 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 best players in the men's game eventually realise that they've got to interact in a social level with their teammates. It's a team sport, and unless you're getting the best out of your teammates, you're not going to succeed which is why often you get these very, very talented players who don't win championships because their ego is, is too strong. It's the ones who can temper their ego plus the social aspects that, that really succeed. So um, I do think there is an element of that. And, and like I say, in terms of what you asked about men playing against women, the, at the top level, uh, teams, particularly in America, where there's a, you know, an, an awful lot more money in the sport, the, they will practice against men you know, the, the top colleges have got practice teams that are male teams that they go up against to, to push them and challenge them mm. a little bit more from a physical perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it does happen from a competitive stance. It, I'm not sure that it's not something I've heard talked about. The, the, the game's a little different. We play with a different size ball. There's a few little differences. It could happen, but um, it's not a driver I've seen um, too much. The, the games are a little bit different. So um, I, I'm a big fan of just actually let's, let's celebrate uh, each of the, the two different games.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think something that um, is really interesting in sports such as basketball, maybe football or rugby, uh, is the general public does seem to have an opinion that maybe women's teams are quote unquote less important or they're certainly you know, celebrated less or shown less on on TV. What's your opinion of that?
1: I definitely think there's a change in culture there. The last three or four years, there's a real shift in terms of, um, you know, sports being pushed on TV. For basketball in the UK, the men's game isn't particularly pushed on TV uh, that great either, unfortunately. But you know, I do see that there is a shift. I think where we've seen a, a move is that people are stopped trying to compare the two as much. Mm. You know, it used to. I think if you go back ten years, people were saying, oh compared to the men the women aren't doing this or it's different now you're starting to recognize just the sports are different and and view them in a different way there's something yeah. beautiful about each version of the game that's slightly different and you know there is a there is a beauty to that team side of women's sport and i think people are really starting to see that and, you know, and if you go back they used to say it in tennis it was a spell where in tennis in the men's game the serve became so dominant that it became really boring to watch and actually the women's games were much more entertaining. And, you know, that now all of a sudden Serena Williams and players are starting to get much bigger and and, and you get that. I think that same thing can happen with, with other sports. You know, you don't necessarily have to compare one against the other or compete one against the other. I think it works well in, in the relay races that you've talked about there in terms of you've, you've seen that, uh, that um, there's a lot of sports are trying to do that. We had a talk the other day from a guy from Curling, the, the chief executive of British curling talked about how they now do mixed doubles and it's, it's an interesting dynamic there's a tactical dynamic that's that's quite interesting about that too but but I do think you know you have to view each of these as let's not compare and I think as a society we're getting better at realizing do you know what I'm going to go and watch this game and I'm not going to try and compare it yes there are still people in the dark ages who are trying to compare and say that you know um but that's, they say that well, women are never going to be as good as men. Well, it depends how you categorize good. You
0: know, well, I you also cat- think, it, you know, the the example that you gave of tennis I think that was a great example because that mindset doesn't really seem to be present in tennis you know especially in the UK you know we have Wimbledon every year like me even as a kid I was never into tennis I would still watch Wimbledon on you know on the TV and you don't watch the men's sets and then watch the women's sets and think oh the women are so much worse you do view it very much as two different disciplines you know there's women's tennis and then there's the men's tennis and I think that mindset is very lacking in in sports you know the obvious one football you know I think a lot of football fans still view men's football as you know the quote-unquote better game and women's football has you know an awful lot less support um but I think it's very smart to view it as two different sports because then you can love each individually and then potentially find ways within Sports to create a new discipline like those relay races, like the mixed doubles. You know, having new disciplines within the sport, I think, is very interesting.
1: Yeah, I think the word "better" is a really annoying word to me. Definitely, because I think people there's a general tendency for people to see better or worse rather than different. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I work at uh, a university. I'm a a lecturer uh, at university and. I, uh, I often find with with students that, you know, they will say this was better than this or this placement was better than that placement. This class was better than that class. Well, well were they really better or were they just different? And, and I try and get that across that, you know, different isn't necessarily bad. They're always, you know, trying to compare better what's better or what's worse. Well, no, except that experiences are different. And, and I think in this case, it's the same, except that men's basketball is different to women's basketball and love both it, it would be the way that I would see it and you know the there are some real. We, we don't have the high flying dunks in women's basketball uh, that we have in men's basketball, but what we do have is beautiful ball movement between team players and, and, and creating opportunities for each other and. Um, that maybe has has kind of eroded a little bit in the men's game because it's become more about the athleticism so Mm -hmm. I think it's about finding the beauty in whatever it is you're, you're watching whatever sport it is whether it's male sport female sport
0: definitely and um just before we finish what are you most looking forward to at the commonwealth games as a head coach
1: you know i mean the obvious answer is the opportunity to compete and, and succeed and potentially get a medal and do something special but you know history has told me my memories of tournaments are very rarely the games my memories of tournaments are more often bus trips and time spent in hotels and uh, laughs over dinner and things like that so i'm really looking forward to One, spending that time with our team and and getting that time to just interact with these people who I've got the utmost respect for, you know, and I I look forward to seeing them having the opportunity to play on that big stage. But the unique thing about a Commonwealth Games, um, you know, probably only the Olympic Games is the other multi sport event of that, you know, that's bigger than the Commonwealth Games. So that ability to go and see other sports and interact with other sports and maybe learn things from other people who do things in other sports. I think it's just going to be a great opportunity to celebrate Scottish sport in general and and for us to to grow relationships and and just help push each other forward.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be amazing. And I cannot wait to watch all of Team Scotland uh, compete at the Commonwealth Games. And I wish you and the women's uh, three by three the very, very best of luck.
1: Thank you very much. It's been great speaking with you.
0: Thank you so much, Donnie. And thank you to all of my listeners. Thank you for tuning in again today. If you have enjoyed it, then please do not forget to like, rate and subscribe. Sharing on social media is always a bonus. And I will catch you guys next week.